thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, this is Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread. This is episode 31. I am about to rush out to the airport to go to Myanmar to do a wedding for a young man that we've been ministering with for many years. I'm really excited that uh, Robin has found him a wife in Nomi, and she's like a perfect match for him. So we're heading out for that and excited to... Uh, to get back into his world a bit. Myanmar's a really interesting country. Um, but not looking forward to even more heat because this has been, I don't know, the effect that just the temperature can have on you. But in Thailand where we live, we've had like 104 degree days for a long time. And this is not Arizona, folks. So we don't have that nice dry heat. This is a wet, humid choking heat that just makes everybody kind of grumpy so i guess it is no accident that we've got a six week long demonstration in our capital city and it's just like a hot irritating time but thank god the rains are starting and with the rains will come the cool so tough times as they say never last but tough people do Today, we are talking about sectarianism, that divisive spirit that says you're not in my group, I need to treat you like an enemy, it's like a tribal mentality. And it's part of human society, but it shouldn't be part of the church, and sadly it has been. So today in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, we're going to take a look at when Jesus dealt with sectarianism in his disciples. So if you don't have your Bible, grab one. Come right back to three. Okay, uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 38 through 41, so not so many verses there. Just to give you a little background again. Uh, We've gone past the hinge in this book. We said that the hinge of Mark's gospel, Mark's whole gospel is written around the concept of persecution and that the the godly man, the one who stands for Jehovah, must be prepared to suffer for that decision because we're in an ungodly age and there is a spiritual war. Uh, Jesus has turned on the hinge of the book and uh, from hiding... uh, that he is Messiah, that he is God's son, God's only representative, from keeping these things quiet so he could discuss things with people, he's now turned, and the whole focus is now on his role as Messiah. Who do men say that I am? And so he is preparing his troops, uh, one, for what's about to happen to him, But secondly, for their ministry, from this point on, they are going to be the ones in charge of the the kingdom movement. He has gone from his training phase and his movement starting phase where he's gone to basically every city in northern Israel and every even little town. He's gone personally. He's laid down his message with the people and he has generated momentum. And so this thing is moving forward. He, uh, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, has laid down 
what is more or less the constitution of his kingdom, the, the core belief system of the Christian movement. He's laid that down. He now goes to make it all come to life by being uh, the blood sacrifice to pay for everyone's sin so we can all be included. But at this point, it means the operational matters and the, the future expansion of this kingdom will now fall to his followers. Uh, he will assist uh, in other ways. And we will get to use his name and the power of his name. We can operate in his authority, but the doing will be ours. And so um, he has talked to them about how they viewed leadership in verse 33, uh, about confusing worldly concepts of the boss being the one who gets all the perks and gets to dominate people and, and saying, that's backwards. You know, if you're going to aspire to be a great leader, then you understand that you live for others. You serve others' needs. You push them. It's not their every little boo-boo, you know, that you're trying to attend to, but that you exist to advance them. You want to push them forward. You want them to grow as individuals. And he said a child in their uh, midst, and he talked about receiving this child, that uh, you become like this child and you receive children. And uh, something about that discussion, because Jesus said, you know, it's a Jewish concept that a man's representative is the same as the man. So that if I send a servant to deal with a matter, you must treat the servant the way you treat me, because he is me. He is my representative. And Jesus said, if this little kid walks into your life, and they had very little respect for children, um, they were like one step from a field animal in some people's minds. They were for, you know, work. And he said, if, if one of these little bitty kids comes to you in my name, he comes as my representative, you need to receive him warmly. And when he talks about that, um, this prompts a memory from John. It's probably been nagging him. Uh, they had acted as a group in a certain situation. They didn't tell Jesus about it. Uh, they reasoned that what they did was okay. But it, it's, it's never felt exactly right. This has probably been nagging at John. And so he, he brings it out in the open. He says, teacher, we, we saw someone who doesn't follow us uh, casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. In other words, he's not one of our you know, batch. He's not walking around with us. He's not in our group. But we saw someone doing that. Now, think about the situation. I mean, this is, a, this is an illustration of how your ministry influences people you never even meet. Think about that. You know, you got the ones that you're pouring your life into hour after hour, trying to make a difference in their life. And then you've got these other people that you don't, you don't even know them. And in this case, you know, this is not a man that walks with, walks with the disciples. And yet, he's taken up the message of Jesus. He's been apparently in the crowd. He has not approached them to say, hey, can I be one of you? But God is dealing with this man. He sees the authority of Jesus. He hears you know, the claims of Jesus, and he's with it. And so this man is out there now casting out demons successfully using the authority of Jesus, standing as a representative of Jesus, using his authority and driving demons out. And the disciples' response is to forbid him. And we have to hope that this man did not listen to them. Um, 
because they say, well, he wasn't one of us. He wasn't, I mean, this man's a true disciple, but he's not authorized. It's the exact same logic that the Pharisees use toward Jesus. You know, who authorized you? Which one of our groups has given you, you know, the document that says you're a real rabbi? Whose school did you go to? This human authority, you know, where you've got to join our group, the sectarian spirit, where that, you know, if somebody changes a church, you you treat him like he's, you know, become a Hare Krishna or something, um, like he's backslidden just because he moved from one congregation to another. This has always plagued us as a people, uh, religion in general, it, you know, has this in it. But Jesus takes it up right away, and he says in verse 39, don't do that, you know, not, no, 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 not my, not my group. We're not going to be like that. Do not forbid him. We have no place for this narrow exclusivism in the church. You know, do not stop new ministries that others originate, even if it makes you feel insecure. And I go back to, you know, this John came to Jesus as a disciple of John the Baptist, he was first in John the Baptist's group. And in John the Baptist's group, when Jesus emerged and began to have a, you know, a powerful following, a powerful presence, uh, there is recorded in Scripture a discussion between John the Baptist's followers. And they said to John, all the people are going to him. You know, we got to do something. He's, he's you know, the people are saying he's baptizing more people than John. Uh, although, in fact, it says Jesus himself didn't go around baptizing people. He had his disciples do it. Um, and so they're, you know, they're concerned. Their group is being outshined by another group. And John has that classic response where he says, not only he must increase and I must decrease, but he's got another philosophy. And he says, a man can only receive that which comes from above. So, in other words, if he is growing... And if some of my people even go to him, I have to acknowledge that this is a sovereign work of God. I am not, I don't own the church. I don't own my group. Uh, They're God's sheep. It's God's movement. It's God's people. I'm a servant of the Lord. And if the Lord chooses to do something, then I have to go with that. I have to not just give in to it, but I need to embrace it and, and realize that this is not about me. This is about Jesus. And, and uh, anybody who's a, a planter of churches or a, a, mm, you launch things and you make a flock of some sort, you know, even if it's your work, uh, Bible study at work or something at school, uh, anybody who gathers people, you get this shepherdly uh, possessiveness over them. Part of that is very healthy. You know, they're my sheep. I've got to take care of them. Uh, on the other hand, you can start feeling like they're my sheep, and uh, that's an entirely different matter. And this will get tested. Uh, in the early days uh, of our life in the Philippines, there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and a new church was planted every eight hours until about 20% of the nation started going to born-again churches. And um, we had a Bible study that just kept growing, and I felt the Lord telling me that that was supposed to be a church. Well, there was another uh, American missionary attending, uh, once we started our church, uh, this person uh, started attending our church also and said initially that he he had no intention of, of planning a church. 
uh, you know, he had a, a good preaching, roaming around preaching, teaching ministry, and that that's why they were there. And within just a few weeks, uh, he was speaking. Uh, one of our Bible studies invited him to speak, and he started being a regular uh, in that Bible study. And then uh, not too long after that, that group announced that they were actually going to turn it from a Bible study into a church. And so I had to decide, you know, how I felt about that and what my response was going to be, because our whole group only had 30 people. So when, you know, even 10 or 12 go, if you feel it when there are 30 people, if you had 500 people, you might not even notice it, but we all knew each other. And so that was a very tense time. Uh, and I had to acknowledge, you know, that, well, if they go to him, then he's their shepherd. And I'm not going to fight him. I'm not going to see this as evil. Um, if, we'll just see, you know. But at least what I know is the sheep are going to their own shepherds. And, you know, there was one guy in our group that had, uh, he he was well-versed in his Bible. And uh, um, so whenever I was pushing for, and, and his, his discipling had come from a group that was, uh, not Pentecostal and did not have a strong appreciation for any of the gifts of the Spirit. So, you know, now I'm there and I'm teaching the opposite uh, because I believe that that is biblical and it's for today and it's the whole power behind the church. So, uh, you know, there's this tension and we're trying to work together and he's trying to accept it and I'm trying to, you know, be gentle and but also not yield ground. And so there's this awkwardness. Well, that brother went with this, this new church. And it was just months, and he was totally, and that, that church was also, you know, fully Pentecostal charismatic. And, uh, you know, it didn't take any time before he had, he had completely bought into the whole doctrine. And I thought, you know what, I would not have been able to do this other brother because he's, his personality is stronger. Um, he's a lot more outgoing. And, you know, he's been able to get into this, into this young man's mind and completely win him over. And I would have been debating with him, and now there's no debate at all, and he's accepting, he's experiencing the the power of God that is for him. So, you know, there's room in the kingdom for all kinds of work, and we have to get over our insecurity and just say anybody, you know, who does a thing in the name of the Lord out of love for Jesus, you have to, you have to you know, reward it and clap for it. Jesus basically gives three reasons that we have to avoid sectarianism. And every one of the reasons uh, starts with four. The first reason, he says, is if the man feels connected in his heart to me, then he is not a threat to our movement. He said, no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. So in other words... It's all about Jesus anyway. It's supposed to be. So if a man feels bonded to Jesus, he is not a problem person. Don't treat him like a problem person. The second reason he gives is that outsiders, in verse 40, outsiders to our group may in fact be tremendous assets that we just don't know about yet. There is a day when everyone is a stranger and they're an outsider to you, and then something happens, and that person becomes an insider, and you have all that they bring with them. And, you know, this is going on in the early church with Paul and Barnabas and the early church leaders. They did not trust Paul. They didn't want anything to do with him. 
He had been a persecutor of Christians, and then he had a, a transformation. Well, Barnabas believed in the transformation, saw the fruit of it in his life, and was determined that the New Testament leaders were going to know him, and they didn't want to meet with him. And Barnabas just brought him into a meeting, you know, so I can just imagine the horror that's in their, you know, in their face whenever, because this guy is the, you know, he's the one that leads the police to your door to arrest you, sometimes kill you, put your family in jail, and uh, confiscate your stuff. And there, you know, here comes Barnabas, who they told not to do this, and the door opens and Barnabas walks in with Paul uh, on his side. Uh, have faith in people. Now, you know, there's always the other argument. You can look for some times when an outsider was actually evil, and that's why we're told not to lay hands suddenly on anyone. So even, you know, even if you've got a desperate need and someone seems oh so perfect, you cannot put that person forward as a leader or part of the team for a long time. You've got to just be patient with that. But that is not to say that you keep people in a, a frozen approve yourself mode before they can be treated as a brother. You know, a leader and a brother are two different things. Uh, so outsiders may be amazing people that you just don't know. Uh, I am today the uh, director uh, in charge of all of Asia's expansion for United Christian Broadcasters. And I didn't even know those guys just, uh, you know, six years ago. I didn't even know who they were. And I went to one conference, and when I went to the conference, uh, this big guy named Gary, uh, six, whatever he is, six foot four or so, he sees me, I'm a stranger, he says, brother, he throws his arms out, he embraces me, he says, you know, we knew you were coming, and you need to be one of us, and he pulls me into this inner circle, which is the international board of this ministry, and, uh, you know, before I know it, I'm included in this group, but it was that act of inclusion uh, that it just broke down all the barriers. They decided to accept me, and so I just felt that welcome and the uh, you know the the openness of fellowship, and it, it moved me forward quickly with this group. Now I I contrast this spirit to the spirit of actually that we experienced with some missionaries when we moved into northern Thailand. I sent a small group of Filipino missionaries here and these young people had excelled i mean they had done such amazing campus work they knew how to evangelize knew how to disciple had basically planted churches had all been very faithful to the lord and uh we picked our very best and we sent them to thailand as missionaries and their experience with missionaries had only been positive up to that point they had had a you know, wide embrace sherry and i are their spiritual parents and everybody that we ever brought to them loved them, nurtured them, and then they came here and they you know jumped into the missionary community, and they had a very different experience. It was um, it was like the default position, and I'm not I'm definitely not saying this of all missionaries, uh, and even all missionaries in our city in Thailand. A lot of them are so amazingly wonderful people, but there were some who seem to have a default position, their emotions toward other people in the Lord and in ministry, the default position was mistrust. And you had to earn that it switches to trust. And it's going to take a long time. And, you know, I found out later that some of that may be a cultural value too. Uh, 
in the region at large. But Jesus is saying you don't approach people in the Lord from a default mistrust. You've got to change that mindset that you trust God to send good people to you and you are seeking new friends and allies. You are being a good friend and you are expecting God to bring you good friends. And you look and you're going to find them out there. He will give you the good people. You be good to people. You look for the good in people. Try to find ways to get people you know, engaged as early as possible. Seek those friends. Seek those allies. And God will bring them to you. Third thing he says is that outsiders are often God's instruments that's, uh, who strengthen us. They come alongside of us right at the moment that we need help. So don't take them for granted and don't reject them. It's their ministry, and the Lord has caused them to be of service, and they may be exactly what you need. He says, you know, if someone would give you a cup of cold water to drink in my name, he will never lose his reward. God meets the needs of his workers through other people, and if you treat other people uh, with suspicion and uh, sectarianism and they have to prove and join your group before they can you know, be in your fellowship. If you treat them like that, how is God going to bring resources to you? Because sometimes, and this is really a, a, a puzzle to me, sometimes the biggest needs that I've had in ministry, whether it was money or an opportunity or a, you know, some open door of some kind or government permission or something, I mean, these are big, big, big needs. I have tried to get it done through my friends and didn't get anywhere. And then a total stranger comes alongside and just gives, you know, opens this door for me. And and I think, would I do that for other people I did not know? You know, but God caused that person to see me, trust me, come alongside of me, and they put it in their heart, you ought to let this man have access to that. And they follow their heart. So Jesus is saying, if the Father is bringing someone to you with a cup of water, and you are going to reject this person, and you're going to make him jump through all these hoops before he can be a partner with you of some kind, uh, you're you're going to mess up the system. Uh, It is their ministry. The Father knows what they can do. He brings them to your side to help you. Don't rob them of their opportunity to get involved and to be of service to God and to be rewarded by God. The church should be a friendly place of inclusion for anyone who genuinely loves Jesus. That's the test of fellowship, not denominationalism, not your organizational membership, not which group are you with. Do you love Jesus? Are you totally sold out to following him as a disciple? Let's open our eyes. Let's open our heart to outsiders and be the Barnabas be the Barnabas in the world, the guy, the one who works to include other people, to, to get them into the circle as quickly as possible. God bless you as you go out into your harvest field this week and as he uses you to find some new person and to pull them from the outsider status to the insider status. God bless you for being salt and light in the world and also in the church. If you'd like to talk to me directly, just email me at my personal email, chuck at quinley.com. And I encourage you also to check out our blog, quinley.com, that 
just let you follow uh, our life and our thoughts about the things that matter in life. God bless you. We'll see you next time. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org.